Welcome to the Riverview Church Podcast. At Riverview Church, we're really lucky to have some great speakers amongst our crew. We have some sharp minds and some heartfelt communicators. And I know some of you have been getting in touch with us saying, how can I listen to those messages again from a Sunday? Well, the good news is we're going to be sharing those with you from now on. And here's how it's going to roll out. Every Monday, we're going to have a new Conversations episode, and every Wednesday, we're going to have a new Sunday message episode for you. Without further ado, here's today's message from our speaker, Zach Gagler. Hi, everyone. A pleasure to share with you today from the Word of God. You know, over the last month, I've been reading a book by a man called Nicky Gumbel, and it's called The Jesus Lifestyle. And I found it a really helpful book to read during the season to shape my life uh, like Jesus's in response to what we're facing. And I found it a helpful reset. And a lot of what I'm gonna share with you today comes out of that book and my own reflections on it. So 2000 years ago, Jesus went up a mountain and sat on the mountainside with a whole bunch of ordinary people He sat down, he opened his heart, and he began to share with them the way of the kingdom. You know, they were facing hard times and Jesus was teaching them how to respond to these hard times. This teaching is a famous teaching and it was once described by the great Billy Graham as the beautiful attitudes of Jesus. Reading from Matthew chapter five and verse one, it says, "'Now when Jesus saw the crowds, "'he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. What an amazing teaching and a confronting one. Here Jesus is teaching us how to live when life is full of circumstances you can't control. You know, I'm believing that this teaching will provide great perspective for us today because in reality, there's a lot of circumstances we can't control or manage. So the question is, how will we respond? And you know, there's a lot of motivational talks right now around how to respond to this situation and maybe even how to get ahead in this situation. But Jesus's approach is different. Jesus doesn't teach us how to get ahead. He teaches us how to shape our heart and our response to these difficult and challenging circumstances and to shape our heart's response by following God's plan for our lives. You know, that word blessed that Jesus uses is the Greek word makarios, which means to be blessed, fortunate or happy or to be the privileged recipient of God's favour. The Amplified puts it like this, to be happy and spiritually prosperous with joy and satisfaction regardless of outward conditions. So in this teaching, Jesus highlights eight 
inner attitudes that bring God's blessing regardless of external circumstances. And I hope and I pray that these eight attitudes will help you continue to shape your heart and your life to receive joy and satisfaction from God regardless of external conditions. The first attitude is to be spiritually desperate for God. Jesus says in verse three, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, that word poor normally means begging or dependent on others for support. But here it means being brought low or weakened to the point of recognising and coming to the realisation of our need and dependency on Jesus. Blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope, it says in the message. You know, I find this so challenging. Um, I'm surrounded by small gods of comfort. Um, that lull my need or my desire for God into a weak, apathetic desire. Analyzing my choices, at times it could seem that I would almost conclude that God is a nice to have, not an essential in my life. And I find that confronting. It's only when things go bad or life is really, really tough or external circumstances are crazy that I get on my knees before God. But if I was gonna be really harsh in analyzing myself, I will sometimes wonder whether the only reason I'm on my need is the benefit of God's presence rather than a genuine desire for God Himself. Jesus is teaching us here that being dependent on God isn't a lever to be pulled in hard times. It's a lifestyle for all times, a lifestyle for every situation in every moment. He says those that are blessed, those ones who rely on God, regardless of external conditions, um, are those who are blessed. Jesus is explaining here that spiritual poverty is the opposite to spiritual pride. Spiritual pride is to say, I've lived a great life. I've lived an upright and a moral life. But spiritual poverty is to look deep within our hearts and know that something is broken and something is messed up and in need of someone who can cure that disease of the inner world. To embody this is to embody the song, Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, who saved a wretch like me. That's what it means to be spiritually desperate for God on the daily. You know, the poor in spirit are blessed because through what Jesus made possible, theirs is the kingdom of heaven, says the Word of God. So let's remind ourselves daily of our need for God. That's the first attitude. The second attitude is to weep over your condition. Jesus says in verse four, blessed are those who mourn. You know, I love a good cry. Um, I cry at a lot of things. Just the other day, I was watching the show Bluey with my kids um, and Claire walked in and I was had tr- st- uh, tears streaming down my face. I cried at the last Star Wars movie, for goodness sake. So I love a good cry, but that's not the kind of weeping that Jesus is talking about here. He says, blessed are those who mourn. And he is talking about the weeping over the broken state of our world or the loss of something or the loss of someone. It's not wrong to mourn the loss of a lifestyle, the loss of something we deeply care about or someone who is dear to us. Jesus here is validating that as a response and an attitude of the kingdom of God. 
He's telling us to stop acting like everything is fine, to stop squashing the pain and the suffering deep within our hearts. And He's telling us this is not the way of the kingdom. In fact, Jesus Himself wept over the death of a close friend, Lazarus, in John chapter 11. And Paul himself tells us in Romans 12 to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. So clearly this is a way of the kingdom. Jesus says that those who mourn will be comforted. That's what He promises here in the Beatitudes. God's comfort goes far beyond any ordinary kind of comfort. In fact, Joyce Meyer, or Auntie Joyce as I call her, once said it's almost worth having a problem in order to be able to experience God's true comfort. I love that. You know, sometimes with this, if I'm honest, I fall into the trap of escapism. I use biblical phrases and biblical terms like God always turns things for good, it's okay, as a way to escape my current pain. And I found in my life that's almost a lack of understanding or a lack of revelation that God is paradoxically present. He is in the mountain on the good times and He's also in the valley. And He's actually in both, in both situations and in both circumstances. You know, to encourage your soul and to remind yourself of biblical truth is excellent. And it's a way to encourage ourselves, but never at the expense of ignoring the pain within. We must confront that within. And Jesus here is encouraging us to weep over our condition. As we come to God with our brokenness, as we come to God, He is the mender of our hearts. As the Christian writer Rob Reimer once said, he said, we must empty out the suitcase of our soul before God. Otherwise, we will end up with a soul full of disappointment. So learn to weep over your condition. The third attitude is to be content with who you are. Jesus says, blessed are the meek in verse five. You know, that Greek word for meek means to be gentle, to be considerate, to be unassuming. It's showing kindness and love for others. It's not arrogance nor self-seeking. It means to be broken, not in the sense of broken glass that's just shattered everywhere, but in the way that a horse is broken. It's strength under control. It's tamed. Jesus lived this way. He lived this pattern of life. He was under control. He submitted not only to God, but He submitted to His parents. He submitted to the law and He submitted ultimately to Pilate. Jesus encourages us to do the same. And this was completely countercultural in the time that He was speaking it. You see, the, the Jews did not want to submit to the Roman rule at all. And I think that was countercultural right then and really pushing a button in them. But it pushes the same buttons in us because I don't think we want to submit um, to authority either. Here, we don't want to be under anyone. We resist that with all of our being, you know, being under the control of others, particularly those in leadership. We live by a me and mine paradigm or an each to their own kind of paradigm of life. But this is not the way of Jesus. Jesus calls us to great surrender and in great surrender comes great supply and divine strength. I wanna encourage you to take a screenshot of this next quote from A.W. Tozer. It's a really, really good one. He says this, the meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. 
He knows as he is weak and helpless as God has declared him to be. But paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing. In God, everything. And that is his motto. I just love that. I think it's profoundly powerful for our lives. You know, great surrender brings great strength and divine supply. In myself, I'm nothing, but in God, everything. As the message puts it, you're blessed when you're content with who you are, no more, no less. So that is the third attitude. The fourth attitude is to be hungry for God. Jesus says in verse six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The kind of thirst that Jesus is talking about here or the kind of hunger is not just from missing a meal or a long day of work and needing a drink. It's the kind of thirst where everything else fades away. Everything fades into the background and all you can imagine is a sip of water to sustain your life. The imagery here is reflected in the story of Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John 4, where it says, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. She thirsted for natural water, but Jesus tapped into this deep hunger in every human heart a hunger for God Himself. So Jesus here is calling us through this attitude to pursue God as our number one priority in life, to pursue a relationship with God the Father. Pursuing anything else for its own sake ultimately leaves us empty, but the blessing of hunger for God and His righteousness is as Jesus says in verse six, is that you will be filled. We have refreshing, living water that never runs dry from God Himself. So be hungry for God. The fifth attitude is to receive forgiveness and to be merciful. Jesus says in verse 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. This is a call from Jesus to not give people what they deserve. Think about that for a moment. Give people what they don't deserve. There are lots of moments in our life where we feel like they deserve it. He started it. They don't know what's coming. I'm going to make their life a misery. (laughs) Maybe that's just the inner workings of my mind, not yours. But if we're honest, there is that urge in each of us to show revenge or retribution. Here Jesus is calling us to extend mercy and extend forgiveness in the same way that we have received it from God the Father. C.S. Lewis put it pretty well saying, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in us. So the encouragement here from Jesus is to be prospectors of gold in each other's, not fault finders in one another. I wonder, when was the last time you forgave someone who has wronged you? When was the last time you extended mercy towards someone who has offended you? I would urge you to look deep within your heart here. You know, often I tend to share my feelings privately to those who I love, to a spouse or to a close friend, but publicly I can present a mask of mercy. It's something on the front, but it's not genuine within the heart. See, Jesus is challenging that here. He's saying there's no room for duplicity in the ministry of mercy to one another. 
Perhaps some of us today have an opportunity to extend forgiveness or to extend mercy, maybe towards a friend that we feel has wronged us, maybe towards an employer that may have stood you down during this season, maybe towards our leaders who we feel have made wrong decisions. I would encourage you to act on that to receive forgiveness and to extend mercy because blessed are the merciful because they will be shown mercy. The sixth attitude from Jesus is to be completely sincere. Jesus says in verse eight of the message, it says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. You know, this is a challenge to our world that is so obsessed with self-image and management of that personal image. You know, we're constantly curating, um, editing, screening moments of our lives in order to display the best version of ourselves to others. But Jesus is calling for us here to take off the mask and enter into bold authenticity. Early on in my journey as a worship leader, um, I found a lot of people would compare me to other worship leaders. They would constantly say things like, oh, Zach, you're a little bit like Joel Houston and a little bit like Chris Tomlin, kind of blended into the one. And I get what people are trying to do. They're trying to assess what I'm like. Um, but it used to irritate me to no end because I don't want to be Joel Houston. I don't want to be Chris Tomlin. I want to be Zach Gagler. I want to be who God made me to be. Here's the thing. God has made you, you not to be a cheap imitation of someone else. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest disservices we can do to our Creator God. Trying to be someone other than you is to violate the divine thumbprint of God seen through your uniqueness. I encourage you today to be boldly you. God's called us through the Scriptures to be a royal priesthood and we need every priest playing their part to, for the body of Christ to function properly. If God wants you to paint the colour yellow on the canvas of your life, why would you spend your whole life trying to be blue? <laughs> Just be yellow, be who you're meant to be. Jesus wants to set us free. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. This is not just an outward purity, but integrity, openness, authenticity, and sincerity. A key step to being pure in heart is allowing others to see the true us in all our brokenness and in our vulnerability. Verse 8b says, living this way will actually help us and others see God. What a profound thought that actually living as you helps everyone, including yourself, see God more clearly. That's awesome. So be sincere. The seventh attitude is to strive to bring peace. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. This is our ministry. We're called to be peacemakers. We're encouraged here not to stir up conflict, but to bring and create peace. Verse nine in the message says, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. Paul tells us in Colossians that Jesus came to make peace for us upon the cross and that Jesus calls us to the same ministry unto others. The great Nelson Mandela once wrote that it takes a long time to make peace, a short time to create tension. Many, many people make tension, but few people make peace. Wherever you find tension, you must make peace.
That's great wisdom from a great man, Nelson Mandela. And it's important to note that in making peace, that doesn't mean to back away from resolving tension. You know, resolving tension is best done in reconciliation with a heart to unify. And Jesus has a fair bit to say on healthy conflict um, resolution in Matthew chapter 18. And I encourage you to head there. If you've got a bunch of conflict in your world, head to Matthew 18 and read a little bit about what Jesus has to say about that. You know, being a peacemaker is to carry a deep trust in God wherever you go. It's about being a non-anxious presence in the room. I wonder what kind of presence do you bring when you walk in the room? Is it a peace and a calm? Are you a non-anxious presence or do you bring anxiety or anger? I tell you this week, I've probably been, my wife's been calling me an ISO grump. So I think I haven't been bringing that peace that I so should be bringing into my neighborhood and into my family. This is an area of my life God's challenging me in. You know, a lot can happen in our lives, but I do believe it's possible through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring peace to our families and to our worlds. To bring peace is to be held in the undercurrent of God's grace, regardless of the choppy waves on the surface of our life. And my wife, Claire, spoke a powerful message on peace. And I'd encourage you to head to YouTube and look for that message to double click on this topic of being a peacemaker. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. Wow. So peace is not just what we do, but it's who we're called to be. We are peacemakers, the children of God. The eighth and the final attitude from Jesus is to expect nothing in return and to not be surprised by criticism. Jesus is blessed to those who are persecuted because of righteousness in verse 10. You know, righteousness, this idea of right standing, um, sums up the previous seven Beatitudes. It, it has to do with right relationship towards God and right relationship with others around us. We might think that by pursuing righteousness, um, we will receive peak popularity from people because we're in right standing. But this is not always the case. And certainly it wasn't the case for Jesus. He ended up on a cross being crucified by His community. Therefore, if you want to follow Jesus's purpose for your life, you shouldn't be surprised by criticism from the world around you. Jesus told us that in this world, you will have trouble, not might have, not could have, not may have trouble, but you will have trouble. But he tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. So this isn't to suggest that we should resort to fundamentalism or a lack of intelligence around how we engage the world around us, but it's simply to suggest that living by the convictions of Jesus, to live by these beautiful attitudes that we're talking about today, often living this way will attract criticism from others. But God promises to always be with you and to be with His persecuted church. Verse 10 reminds us of this. He says, for theirs, the righteous for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's recap. What are these eight beautiful attitudes of Jesus? Firstly, to be spiritually desperate. Second, to weep over our condition, to be content with who you are, to be hungry for God, to receive forgiveness and extend mercy, to be sincere, to bring peace and to expect nothing in return and expect criticism. I wonder if you were to take a heart check where are you doing well in living out these attitudes? And where is there room for improvement? 
I'd love you to reflect on that today. Where are you doing well? And what attitudes, is there room for improvement in your life? And what areas of these Beatitudes would you be asking for God's help to live it out today? You know, Jesus told this ordinary group of people on the mountainside that day that if they lived this way, they would change their inner world and transform the world around them. The same call is to us today. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, an individual has not started living until he can rise above the narrow confines of his individualistic concerns to the broader concerns of all humanity. And the encouragement to you is that when we embody these eight attitudes of Jesus, we rise to the broader concerns of all of humanity. Heaven meets earth in the world around us and beauty comes from ashes. Joy comes from mourning and grace and peace are replacing heaviness in the world around us. Living this way, living is the way of Jesus to bring God's blessing regardless of external conditions and external circumstances. I pray that that blesses you. If you agree, you can say amen. And let's pray together today. Father, we thank you for your presence and we thank you that you are with us, helping us live these out. We thank you for the blessing that you're pointing out in our lives, that when we live this way, God, we transform our life and the world around us. So help us, God, we pray. As we reflect today on the areas that we're doing well or the areas that we need improvement in, God, we just ask that you would come in and would you continue to shape our life and shape our responses in order to live your way uh, for the sake of the world around us. Help us, we pray. We invite you, God, to search our heart as the Psalm of David to rid us of anything that offends you, God. Would you search us and point out the areas that we can continue to grow into your likeness, Father God. We ask that you'd be with us this week. Help us to live this out. Help us to shine like lights in the darkness. In your name we pray. Amen. God bless, church. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take 30 seconds to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. It actually really helps. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at riverviewchurch.com. And if you would like any information about Riverview Church, the things that we've got going on, and if we could help you in any way, please reach out to us. Riverviewchurch.com is our website. Thanks again for listening.